Yeah, Father, we just, we, we do. We, we say thank you for everything that you've given to us, Lord. We just want to give a little bit back to you. Father, I pray that this morning we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray that you would continue to break down any, any barriers, Father God, that we wouldn't have ears to hear or eyes to see, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would have an environment here that loves and supports one another. An environment wherever we go that loves and supports one another. Father, we speak an atmosphere of unity in this place. We speak an atmosphere of encouragement in this place as we're talking about continuing to talk about being an encourager this morning. Father, we shut down any any uh, negativity this morning, Father God. Lord, we speak against it that it's not from you. And Father, we just give you everything that we are. Lord, we pray that you would speak in this place in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. That was some good time of worship. I was so blessed by that. You the man, Andy. This morning, we are, Tim, you can go ahead and throw the first slide up. We're, we're going to continue, we've only barely touched on it, on uh, the, the, the idea we, we finished at the la- end of last year of living in purpose, and that, that there's uniquely built purpose into each and every one of us, um, and that that's really significant. And we look specifically at living in purpose relationally. Because it's really easy, I think, to be on mission in our heads and in theory. I, th- I think it's, it's a really nice thought that I think probably any Christian or anybody that's been around Christianity has heard before. Hey, you've got a purpose. You've got a calling. You know, go and get it. Go change the world for Jesus. Um, and and I, I, I like some of that as well. I'm not, I'm not saying that all of that is bad. But what we want to do is we want to break it down to what does that actually mean between me and between you? Because I think there's a whole lot of um, really good intentions that never get, that never find their way into the practical outworking of how we are with one another. And I think one of the things that we want to look at this morning, as we're talking, be a Barnabas. And you can, if, if that sounds weird to you, that's fine. We can just say, be an encourager. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Be an encourager. So when we're talking this morning, we're saying that our first and primary identity that we're looking at in our community is not to be a criticizer, is not to be uh, disconnected, is not to be isolated, but it's to be an encourager. And so when we're looking at that, what does that practically look like? And so we are so excited as a team to, to identify ourselves with these kinds of things. It's not how we present ourselves stylistically that we want to say, hey, you should come along to our church. We sing a couple of songs and then we hear somebody talk for 30 minutes. That's our church. That's not what we want to say, church. When you say, I want to invite someone along to church, it means I want to invite you into a community that you're going to jump into and the person on your right and on your left is going to call out of you the things that God has uniquely placed on you and encourage, support, and empower you to walk in the fullness of what he's called you to do. When, when we're talking church, let's talk, what does that look like? And so I get very excited about that because, and this isn't CFUH necessarily, this is church across, across the board, that it's so easy to get into a mindset that we talk about community, but how are we living community? And we want to talk about that this morning just a little bit. And I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged on a message on encouragement. Um, so I, I just want to, as, as often as I can, I'll start a message on encouragement by encouraging a faction in our church. Um, Aaron's ducked out because I told him that I was just going to be blowing him up this morning. But I love 
what Aaron and Anna and the youth team are doing. Like, like I love it. Like, it's, it's something that I, I, I get to brag. If I can brag about it. Oh, Anna's here. So I get to blow you up, Anna. I love to brag about Aaron and Anna whenever I get a chance. When I went back to the States, I got a chance to preach in a couple churches, and I even got a chance to speak into the fabric of some different churches, even some that I hadn't been in before. And when they started talking about youth ministry, I said, stop. I want to tell you some amazing things that I know about what's happening in our church. And, and one of the things is, is, A, they're really good encouragers, but they live life relationally first. And then um, there's, there's other pieces around that. And it's so powerful. But the transition that I've seen in some of the lives of our youth is something that gets me so excited because it's not, it's not hype. It's not, um, it's not anything else. It's, it's authenticity. But in saying that, they are embracing our Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy model. And so I went along to youth recently, and, uh, and, and it was their kickoff of the year. And, and they're talking about how do we live life intentionally together in relationship. And you see, we've chosen the finest of pictures. And I didn't make this. Luke made this. And so I said, thank you, Luke. So this is just to give you a visual of some of the intentionality of what we're after. And this is what our youth has created. They've, they've heard some of the things that we've talked about. How do you live life intentionally? And this is, this is their outworking of it. So it's something that I was so excited to share with you this morning, just to give you a visual picture. Do we have any visual people out there that see things and it suddenly makes sense a little bit more? So you can go back to that one, Tim. Um, so I just, I just want to give you, so if you see the, the handsome guy in the middle, um, I think he's smiling. Joram is, is going to be our case study. Is Joram even inside the building right now? My man, my man. Joram is our case study for the person that we're looking at. And this morning, we're going to be talking about Luke. Luke is the Barnabas in our relationships. And we're not talking about fabricating inorganic relationships. A lot of these are going to happen very organically. And you already have a lot of these kinds of relationships going. But one of the things that is on our heart is to be intentional in the way that we connect with one another and the kinds of relationships that we have. So this morning, we want to talk about this relationship between your peer group or, or your friends or the people that, that you're doing life together with. And so that, that would be represented by our friend Luke here. And he's, he's very joyful in this picture. So he's excited to be a Barnabas. Well, that just gives you a picture, and, and, and later, Bruce Billington is going to talk on the role of Aaron, who, who would be a Paul-like figure, he, a mentor-like figure, and one of the reasons I'm so excited about this specific group of people is because we are very multi-generational, and that's not a weakness, that's a strength, because it, it will be a weakness if we don't get a way to connect with one another, if we don't get a way to hear from the older generation, the older generation gets to hear from us. We want to be passionate about getting together with folks that have done life with us. I have a chance to get together with Ben Polson every now and then. We need to get together again soon. Dave Orham is a guy I want to connect with. He's got two boys that he's raised. I want to put myself in those shoes and, and do life with him and hear some of the stories of what's worked. One of the things that Ben told me when I got together with him, he said, Jesse, I'll be able to tell you a lot of things that maybe didn't go so well. I love that because that's the authentic relationship happening. That's where the real stuff comes. It won't happen if you're not intentionally going after it. It won't happen if what the way that we view church is for us to come in and have a stylistic expression on Sunday morning. That can't be the definition of church. So when you talk to people about church, 
I want to talk to people saying, at my church, this is what we do. I connect with a guy named Aaron, and we encourage one another. I get together with a guy named Ben Polson and Bruce Billington, and they call me up to a new standard. They see something valuable in me. I have encouragers and Bruce McKevitt and, and all sorts of people that that's what church is to me. That's what the body of Christ is, is when we come together like that. Amen? And so that just gives you a picture. And then our Isaac, I think it's a very young Isaac. Um, that's, that's a Timothy. That no matter, I, I want the culture in, in, in our church, I don't care if you're, you're 55, 35, 15, or 5, that you have somebody that you're looking to pour out into. If you have something, is there somebody that you're taking along and saying, hey, I've, I went through kindergarten last year. Let me tell you about it this year. If we set up a culture that you actually have something in you that's worth giving, then you're going to have people locked into purpose at a very, very young age. We want to know people that are connected to a community as they come in very early. So I'm excited about that. Um, I, uh, I saw an article, and Tim, you can go back to the Bia Barnabas. I saw an article um, recently, and it was a study done in a school. And it was one of the most, it was very interesting. And so I'll tell you about the study. They, they got a select group of students, and they got them together, and they put them in a class separate from the rest of the students. And they told the students, they said, you guys are the best and the brightest that we, our school absolutely has. We've checked all of the tests, and like, you guys are the bee's knees. You guys have made it to the top. You've made it. You guys are great. We want to put you all together. They got a group of teachers, and they, they let them know, hey, we've actually looked at the data. You guys are the best teachers. You're the most innovative. You're the most creative. And they put them all in a classroom together. And then they, they also let each of those groups know that you have the best teachers in our school. You have the best of what we have to offer. They told the students, we've given you the best teachers, and the teachers were told, you've been given the best students. And they looked at the results at the end of the year, and they, and they saw how did the, that class perform. And they absolutely were miles ahead of every, every other class. There was no class even near them. And I think it was a high school aged. I don't remember exactly. And then after they got their grades at the end of the year, they let them know that the study um, actually indicated, well, they set it up that those teachers weren't the best teachers. They were very average, ordinary teachers that were just pulled from a, a random pool. The students were even pulled from even some lower-performing past results. They'd put, those, they'd put those students in that class, and yet they still, on average, did really, really well. And what's the point that I'm going to? Is that when people don't understand their value, they're often going to stop before they even start. If you don't understand your value, oftentimes you're going to stop before you've even started. When we're looking at being a Barnabas, being an encourager, if we don't understand that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have been crafted in your mother's womb, that God has made you in his image himself, then there's, there's going to be some doubt that comes. If you're, if you're not operating in the sense of really believing that you can actually make a difference in someone's life, you're going to stop before you even start. I think we talked a couple weeks ago a little bit about vulnerability and that when you start walking, you want to take hold of what God has for you, that it's a very vulnerable place to go to to take hold of what God has for you. And what I would suggest 
is that this is true in this case as well, is that vulnerability is so important for you to be able to move in that kind of relationship that we're talking about. It's very vulnerable to put yourself out there in that place. If you don't understand your value, if you don't understand that you've been created by the King of Kings, that you're actually a son or daughter, because if you don't know or you don't really believe that you have something to impart, it's going to be really hard to impart that very thing to someone else. If you don't think you have something worth giving, how are you going to call somebody else up into a standard of also giving something? That's a big task. That can feel overwhelming. As I was, I was looking over my notes late last night, and actually, um, I, I, was, it was, I stayed in my notes for a really long time. And I couldn't get past this point right here, that it's not just about knowing that you've been created and that you're valuable and that you're worthy, because those words are too, um, we've heard them so much. But I just want you to think, what stops you from encouraging the person next to you? What stops you? That's what this whole point is for. It might not be that you, I know a whole lot of people that know that they have a lot to impart, but they get really, really frustrated that I just don't have an outlet to impart or I just don't know how to. But I kept coming back to this verse. We all know it really, really well. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I don't know about you, but I get so locked into the I can do all things and then start to get discouraged when I don't know if I can do all things that I really forget who it's through. So even though you've been fearfully and wonderfully made and that the God of the universe has put specific things in you to impart to other people, he's not left you to do it alone. But it's through Christ who strengthens us that we can move forward. I think oftentimes if we get into the journey, we all of a sudden think, I can't do this. I don't know what the next point is. I I don't think that I have enough. Am I not valuable? And that's where it says, actually, it's through Christ who strengthens you. So can I just encourage you that this, this isn't the most, the deepest point of anything, but be a Barnabas. When I'm looking at what has prevented a culture of encouragement and a culture of support happening in any church, I think the root cause is that people first and foremost don't believe that they actually have something to impart. And I think it's very overwhelming to get there. I love the verse where it says, Paul planted the seeds and Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. There has to be a point where we're intentional, but then we give it over to him because it's him who's going to strengthen us. And now, and the next two points are going to be very, very practical, but I think it's so important that we just talked about this very briefly, that if you don't understand your value, if you don't know how valuable you are, if you don't believe that you actually have something to impart, you're going to stop before you even start. The, the second major thing that I want to talk about this morning is, if we get on a real practical level, encouragement means the most when it comes from someone that you know the most. Encouragement means the most when it comes from someone you know the most. So Angie, she, when she encourages me, it means a whole lot. It means a whole lot more than any of you guys. Because Angie has seen me at my worst, at my best, at my, uh, when I'm sleeping, when I'm not sleeping. She, she's, had to, she's been involved in my life for a very long time. And when she encourages me, it means so much more. And yet, in church culture, 
oftentimes we want to speak into other people's lives before we've had a chance to live life with them. Encouragement means the most when, you know, when that person knows you the most. So Paul and Barnabas, I, I did a little bit of digging around, and it looks like some scholars even think that Paul and Barnabas went to school together. They say they studied under the same, the same uh, teacher of the law. Barnabas is the guy that got Paul jumped into the disciple gang. Like, he was the guy that stood up for Paul and said, I know he's been murdering a bunch of us, but he's legit. He's found Jesus. Paul is that guy that stood in for, for Barnabas is that guy that stood in for Paul. Paul and Barnabas ended up splitting up in later years, and they fought like cats and dogs. Paul and Barnabas argued together. They, they fleshed that stuff out. Paul and Barnabas lived life together. Can I encourage you that the centrality of this point is fight to live life with one another. Don't have a great cup of tea after service on Sunday morning and check off the community box. What does that look like practically? It means get some one-on-one time going with folks. Um, we're working, the elders and I are working like the Dickens to how do we, how, what does this look like in our own lives? How are we getting in the mix? And, and there's lots of great stories. And I want to encourage you, go and seek out any of the elders. Go and seek out those folks and talk about them and say, how are you putting this into practice in your life? Because this is something that we really think is so important. How do we move from talking about community to being community and to being intentional in that respect? Be a Barnabas is to be an encourager. Paul and Barnabas lived life together. I love this. I've got a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think words have the power of life and death. And so if you, if you do like passing encouragements, you know, like drive-by shooting encouragements, hey, I, Jesse, I loved your preaching today, or Jesse hated your preaching, whatever it is, that, that will encourage me or, or, or wound me. Um, that, that will encourage me. But for significant impact, you need my two favorite, my T's. You need time and you need trust. And you gain trust by putting in time. Let's not have a superficial culture that says, since I've known somebody for so long, I actually know how they tick and how they operate. But spend time with someone. And and, and encouragement, it might be hard to wrap our heads around. Is it a listening thing? But I would say spend time listening to people. Spend time hearing their heart. The person that you know more, you're able to encourage more. Find those people. If, if you, who are your Lukes or Joram? Who are your Lukes that you can seek out to spend time with? How, how you encourage someone, let's define it really quickly. We might all have a different expectation of what does that look like. Hey, you did a great job with this or whatever it is. We're talking hopefully a much deeper level of encouragement with one another. We want to be encouraging one another with the very fabric of who God created us to be. And you can't see that for just a snippet of time. How do you get in someone's life and truly encourage them? And the next point follows very closely on to this. is Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But what was the definition of friend that we just read? A friend is somebody who sticks closer than a brother. I think too often we might be wounding folks that we haven't spent time being friends with, and those wounds don't become faithful. 
the wounds just become wounds that fester and that stay open. But faithful are the wounds of a friend because I would submit to you that encouragement often comes in the hardest conversations. It's when Angie has to say, Jesse, I think you're way off here or whatever it is. It's the tough conversations where I actually grow the most, where I'm encouraged the most that it's on an actual, we're actually able to communicate in that regard. Encouragement means the most when it comes from someone who knows you the most. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. We have to spend time with one another to be able to speak into someone's life if you want to have lasting effect. In our culture, which is, is great, and just in Western society, this is a feedback culture. We're obsessed with feedback, and I think feedback is one of the most powerful things that we can get. If you get feedback without trust and time, you're just probably going to get a lot more wounds and be frustrated long term. It's far harder to build and do life with someone than it is to offer feedback from a distance. The person that knows you the most is able to encourage you the most. When we're talking about being a Barnabas, can we get really practical this morning? Know that you have something to impart. But know you're going to be far more effective in what you impart if you spend the time needed with that person to understand who they really are, to see what really makes them tick, and be able to impart that. Barnabas lived life with Paul, and he built the time and the trust. The last major point, and I think it's the most important, maybe the most practical point. But as, as far as we're, if we're talking culture builders, it's, I've titled this one just Along for the Journey. Along for the journey. The last thing is called along for the journey. Knowing you're valuable, knowing you have something to impart, getting through that hurdle, spending the time needed with the, the people around you. But the last one is this, going along for the journey. And I have a couple stories to just explain this one. So um, my son, Archer, he gets in trouble sometimes. Uh, he's a very rambunctious young, young fellow. And, uh, and w- what we do to try and discourage those kinds of things is we'll send him to timeout. So he'll go to timeout, and he doesn't go for very long. But when he goes to timeout, he, he cries when he goes to timeout, and it's not a very good experience. But when he goes to timeout, Bennett, who's now like a year and a half, he goes to timeout with him. He, he's not been sent to timeout, and he'll, he'll go and cry with his brother. So if his brother's crying, and, and I've, I've literally tried to go and explain it to Bennett. I said, Bennett, I said, sweetie, you're not in trouble. You can, you, you can come out. And he cries even harder at me. He's just, he's, his brother's there. And, uh, and oftentimes, Archer went to timeout because he smacked his brother. So, I mean, it's, I, I can't wrap my head around it. But what a powerful picture that Bennett, as far as an encourager goes, if we're talking really practically, is able to speak to his brother on a whole new level as opposed to, hearing about timeout. Hey, how did timeout go? Bennett would have a problem since he doesn't speak English. So he, he wouldn't understand what his brother told him anyways. Bennett's experience with his brother in timeout means so much more to his brother now because he was there with him on the journey. I think oftentimes we have a culture where we might share with one another what we've done, but can we embrace a culture where we go along for the journey with people? That when you identify what God is birthed in somebody, where somebody's coming alive, can you sign up for a front row seat to be in the game with them? Another example of this is, there's a lot of stories about Angie this morning, but I, um, 
I've, I've always been passionate about um, ministry and stuff like that. I'm, I have a double major in psychology and religious studies, but I also wanted to take as many Bible college classes as I possibly could. So I, I took, um, I think it was like homiletics 101, or I don't remember the exact name of the class, but homiletics is um, not necessarily the content of what you're speaking, but how you deliver what you want to deliver um, when you're speaking or, or presenting anything. And so I was really passionate about it, excited about the class, and, um, and that, that was all well and fine. But the funny thing is, is I think Angie and I were only dating at the time, and Angie signed up for homiletics with me. And she could care less about homiletics. I still don't even think she knows what homiletics means or is or knows. And I give her so much credit. She did the video presentation at the end where you have to preach. And she, she put her all into it. And all the while, she could care less. But it was such a powerful experience for me because the encouragement that came from her through that journey meant so much more than the professors, than the people that were around me, that her going along on the journey with me for something that I felt God had birthed inside of me meant so much to me. She was able to speak so well into the, the very nature of the things that I do, and she still does that today. I still find her my best encourager and my best realist, too. She'll tell me how it is. What a powerful statement for us to be as when you invite somebody into the doors, when you invite somebody into the community, you're inviting them saying, come on in. We want to, I first understand I have value that I can impart something to you. Secondly, I want to spend time with you. I want to actually get to know you and build trust. But thirdly, I want to go with you on the journey. What is hurting? What is hurting on your heart to do? Can I come along and sign up to be the first person to sign up to do that? What a powerful statement. We can't be a group of people that have something in common that his name is Jesus and then go and live our separate lives. The body of Christ is to support one another to do that which he's called us to do. Going along for the journey. And these need to be tangibles that we can think. Um, we're starting a community basketball league. I, I don't know if David's here this morning. But David, it's kind of his brainchild. But we're starting a community basketball team. And it started from him talking about his passion to get in the community and start interacting and, and calling these young men up that there's something more. He has a passion to get them scholarships, and he has a passion for basketball. And so I said, man, I want to support that in any way that I can. Let's go jump on in. And so we're, we're gathering some, some guys together to go and play basketball, not just to have a good time, but so that we can support one another in that which God has called us to do. We're not going out just to play basketball. We're going out to get in the lives of the people on the court to see opportunities where we can encourage and speak life into those individuals. Practical. To be an encourager, what does that mean? My hope is that we can anchor ourselves around this identity of intentionality in relationships. Not an identity of preferences stylistically, not an identity of anything else like that, not an identity of how we do this or how we do that, but the content and the quality of the relationships that you have and how you're supporting the people that are on your right and on your left. A couple of just more analogies and we'll, we'll wrap it up. I think it's too easy to be Facebook encouragers. Who's on Facebook? It's okay if you're not. It's not the best thing in the world. But when you're on Facebook, I, it's a good way for me to connect with family and friends that are across the, the, the other side of the world, so I really appreciate it. But when you see something, they can post their photos, and they can give you a really good description of what happened. And so if they went on a trip, you really get a good sense of, like, what they did and where they went. 
And, and you can like their post, you know. You, you say, I like this. I'm, I'm affirming, I'm encouraging your experience here. And, and it, it gives a false sense of that we do know people. But, I mean, you, you get to know them. But how different is it when you actually go on the trip with someone? You're like, you snored way too loudly most of that trip. I could hear you a couple rooms down. You, you understand the feelings that they went through. You understand those things. We have to move from coming together and sharing about our experiences to identifying what is the thing inside of me that I want to do? How do I go and do that? But then also, how do I get around some people that I'm doing life with? Find what's inside of you and go and be a front row supporter in that. An analogy, I love, I don't love rugby, but I made a bunch of the guys come over to my house and and watch the American football Super Bowl. Most of them were bored out of their mind, but I had a great time. In the game... Hunter, Andy, Andy's son, he's like, is it done? And like, we're like, it's done. And he cheered. He literally cheered when it had finished. But the analogy, if you have a son or daughter that you're encouraging to go jump in the rugby game, and they come back and they tell you all about what they did, and you're like, that was awesome. Maybe you should try to pass more, whatever it is. We need, to, we need to not be at home. We need to go to the game. Maybe we're on the sidelines and we're cheering on. But the, what I'm going to submit to you is the best way to encourage someone is, is playing right alongside them. Jump on board with them. Find what they're passionate about and get in the game of whatever they're doing. In the game, encouragement means so much. It means so much. When we're talking multi-generational connections, and Bruce will probably expound upon some of that as we go in. But we're saying, how... Do we get in the game that you're playing? How do you get in the game that we're playing? It's not enough just that we know one another and that we're still here. But practically, how do you start getting involved in people's lives? And we're going to try and come up with different resources, but this isn't our journey. This, this isn't the leadership, but this is our journey as a church to say, how do we be as intentional in relationships as we possibly can? How do we be a Barnabas culture? How do we be an encouraging culture? To be an encourager. You have to know that what you have inside of you is something so significant to impart. You have to know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and then you have to also understand that it's not all on you to make everything happen, but it's, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Barnabas took the time to know Paul. He lived life with Paul. They built enough trust to be able to speak into one another's life. Barnabas was a man whose words aren't recorded very often in the Bible. It's not what Barnabas said. It's that Barnabas actually went on the majority of Paul's overseas missions trips. Barnabas, what, he's known for one of the greatest encouragers in the Bible. And yet his words are not recorded in the Bible. His actions are recorded in the Bible. It, he was even... It was recorded. They went to Lycra and the people said they were just amazed. And they said, Barnabas is like Zeus and Paul is like Hermes because they said Paul is the one that's doing most of the speaking and most of the praying. Barnabas didn't have many words. He wasn't even very active in regards to his words when he went out. But how powerful that he was on the front line. He was even seen as a mightier man than Paul in the eyes of the people. Because of what he brought and the encouragement that he brought in going along the journey with someone. 
We have to break out of, I think, of a religious mindset that says church looks like this and it's boxed in here. And when you go to home group for an hour and a half on a Tuesday night, you've, you've done it. Or, or you've, you've served together one time and it's like, man, we, we made it. But how are you doing life together with someone? But guess what? It's such a vulnerable place to do that. It's a vulnerable place. And that's why we're saying it's so important to take hold, we're talking about earlier, of that which God has called you to be vulnerable. But we have to be encouragers. I get excited about a community that's able, I want to be able to invite people in. And and I've had a chance to connect with all sorts of people in the beginning of this year and talking to them about various things. But I want to be able to invite people into a community where they plug in and the culture is not, hey, come along to our church. This is the feel and flavor of it. But we want to support you and what you are called to do. Barnabas went with Paul to actually do the things that God had called them to do. Can we be a people of encouragers, not just in this community? That's, that's such a short, short-minded goal. Wherever you're currently placed, can you imagine calling that thing out of the boss that you just don't really like? You're spending time. What does it say? Pray for our enemies. Love those. We, wanna, we want to be as Christians, culture breakers, that we get to establish a new culture. And the power of encouragement is one of those things that wherever we go, I would hope that people start to come to life with what God has called them to be and called them to do. Amen? Okay, I'm going to have the worship team come back on up. We'll finish with a song, but I'd just like to pray very quickly. Father, I pray and thank you, Father, for who you are. I thank you that it's not us that has to to make things happen, Father, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, we thank you that you are our strength, that you are the mighty rock and the comfort, and Lord, you are the ultimate encourager. Jesus, we don't have to strive to be what you're calling us, but Lord, I speak breakthrough in this area. Lord, I I speak an opening of minds in this area, Jesus. Lord, can we shift The mentality, even if it's a mentality over church in general, Lord, we don't want to be satisfied with what we view church as. But let the, let the identity of this church be the foundation of relationships that we have with one another. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear how to encourage the people on our right and on our left. Lord, give us passion to spend time with people, to value them enough that we can build enough trust to go the journey with them, Jesus. Lord, let, let our wounds be faithful because when we give hard feedback, when we give hard encouragement, we've put the time in to trust the words that are being spoken. But Lord, above all, we speak a mobilization right now in this place for this year that people will start to realize the dreams that you've put on their life. People will start to walk in the fullness of what you've called them to do because they're no longer doing it alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Father, we declare that there would not be one person alone in this place. Lord, we mobilize a generation and a people that are going to lift one another up in their calling, that are going to be in the game so they don't hear about it afterwards. So we don't give encouragement to say, you can do it, but we're actually alongside with them. We're calling them up to that. Father, break mentality. Help us establish a new culture of what church means to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.